0: Welcome to Berry Grounds. I'm Justin Brake. Before we begin, this episode of Berry Grounds deals with colonization and its consequences, like child abuse, addiction, and suicide. Please listen with care. If you need support, there are people who care about you and are here for you. In Natwashish, you can contact the Healing Lodge at 709-478-2501 or mental health and addictions counseling through Labrador-Grenfell Health at 709-478-8834. In Shehejit, you can find support at the Mary May Healing Center at 709-497-8739, or with counseling services through the Labrador Health Center in Happy Valley Goose Bay at 709-897-2343. Please know that you are loved and you are not alone. Today, we're celebrating Canada 150! It's July 1st, 2017, Canada Day. People across the country are decked out in the red and white of the Canadian flag, doing family activities, attending parties, enjoying a long weekend, and celebrating Canada's 150th birthday. I'd like to acknowledge that we are on the ancestral lands of the Algonquin people, and I want to thank, I want to start with a thank you to the hundreds of thousands here on the hill coming together in our nation's capital, and to the millions more in your homes across the country, maybe watching through the screen door while trying not to burn the hot dog buns on the barbecue. Remember, lightly toasted. In Newfoundland and Labrador, many are doing the same, but also observing Memorial Day to honor the 700 soldiers from here who died on July 1st, 1916, at Beaumont Hamel in France during World War I. July 1, 2017 marks the centennial of Newfoundland's Memorial Day. While most of us are celebrating or remembering the fallen from World War I, something else is happening on July 1st, 2017. Something big. Innu leaders from Labrador are paying a visit to the Federal Indigenous Affairs Minister, Carolyn Bennett at her Canada Day event in her downtown Toronto riding. Just a few weeks earlier, Simeon Chakapesh, the Deputy Grand Chief of the Innu Nation, lost his 16-year-old son, Thunderheart, to suicide. Thunderheart loved music, he played guitar, he loved his family and his friends, and they loved him. But like many other Innu youth, Thunderheart fell to addiction after he began sniffing gas. A former chief of Natwashish, Simeon Chakapesh helped oversee the relocation of his community from Davis Inlet to Natwashish just a decade and a half earlier. He helped bring outside attention to the plight of Inu children, the abuse, addiction, and suicide. Not wanting the same fate for his son, he turned to Child and Family Services for help. Thunderheart was sent to a youth treatment centre far away from his home in Natwashish, in Grand Falls, Windsor, on the island. Then, to a rehab centre in Regina, more than 3,000 kilometres away. When he came home in 2017, Thunderheart was 16 years old, but his father says he wasn't the same person. In May 2017, Thunderheart took his own life. It's too much for Simeon Chakapesh who doesn't want to see another Inu kid taken from their community and culture. Here he is, July 1st, 2017, confronting then-Minister of Indigenous Affairs Carolyn Bennett at the MP's Canada Day Picnic. A warning, this is difficult to hear.
1: Ah, you don't know how much pain I'm going to carry the rest hey, of my no life! No, I do. This is really, this is unacceptable that your children are being Change taken from it! You. Change Wait. it! You are are advancing at the table! Change it! We are going to change it.
0: In a video of the confrontation, Chakapesh is being consoled by then Inu Nation Grand Chief Anastasia Cupy. Cupy steps in to plead with Bennett.
1: Kids are away from our communities. Our kids are not speaking the language when they go home. How can we keep our language? How can we protect our future when they're so far away from us? It's, it's How can they practice their culture? We, we How can we go to Newfoundland? Newfoundland is just not next door and easy to travel, but this is where you're taking our kids, and you're taking them to Ontario, you're taking them out west. How can the families make the travel to go all the way out there and see their kids? How can they have a connection with inter- their families? How can they do that? There's broken connections that are are being done by this government. And it's it's hurting us. We're the leaders, but yet we're the ones that go home to all the pain and suffering in our communities. This is what's happening. And yet, the Prime Minister says there's money there to help the communities to build the capacity to make investments. But it's just sitting there. And it's not helping anyone. It's just sitting there. How long are we going to wait? We need change.
0: The federal government has jurisdiction over a lot of things when it comes to First Nations and the Indian Act. But it's the provinces who are responsible for overseeing child welfare. The Inu Nation says that at any given time, approximately one in 10 children from the two communities are in state care. A report to the Canadian Human Rights Commission in 2019 says that more than 40 of the roughly 60 children in provincial care from the Mujuao Innu First Nation were in care outside of Natwashish, away from their families, communities, and culture. That same year, Shehajit declared a suicide crisis after 10 suicide attempts in less than a week. Youth suicide rates in Innu and Inuit communities in Labrador are exponentially higher than in other parts of the province and country. After the Innu leader's confrontation with Carolyn Bennett made national headlines, then Newfoundland and Labrador Premier Dwight Ball met with them four days later. After an hours-long meeting, Ball announced the province would launch an inquiry into the treatment of Inu children in the child welfare system. He hoped it would begin that fall, but it took six years. The province appointed commissioners in 2021 and the inquiry finally held its first hearings in February 2023 the inquiry will examine the underlying social economic cultural institutional and historical causes that contribute to the overrepresentation of inu in that system and provide recommendations for a new path forward it'll also investigate the deaths of specific inu children youth or young adults who had experience in care or custody When we come back, Simeon Chakapesh invites us into his home. Stay where you're too. It's a sunny August day in Shehazit. And I've just arrived at the house where Simeon Chakapesh and his wife Ruby and one of their daughters are living. They're here in Shehijit and not back home in Natwashish because Simeon has cancer. He needs to be close to the hospital in Happy Valley Goose Bay where he makes multiple trips each week. When I knock, he yells for me to come in. I walk up a set of stairs to his living room where the former police officer in chief is seated on a loveseat one leg up on the couch. He's wearing a catheter.
2: Um, I'm from Naroshish. My name is Simeon Jacobish. I'm a former chief of Naroshish and been elected, I think, eight times. One of
0: the first things I notice is an enlarged photo of Thunderheart on the wall above him.
2: And it just, the trend doesn't stop. If you look at the stats of the, the death toll of the people, and we've been bearing young people suicide and die from uh, illness. We
0: just sat down, and Simeon shares some tragic news with me—something I didn't know about. It's, uh, it's really devastating,
2: and right now I'm grieving for my son. Lost my son, July 15. Vincent, and I lost Sunday in May, 2017, and I lost my uh, granddaughter, Evelyn. So it, it doesn't give you the time to grieve and also to deal with the uh, with the losses.
0: last december simeon and ruby lost their one-year-old granddaughter everly and then just a few weeks before my visit they lost their son vincent thunderheart's older brother and one of three boys simeon and ruby had all three of their boys are no longer with us my son vincent he he keeps saying that he he blamed himself
2: what happened to thunderheart because he used a truck that, that day, and he, he didn't return it. Then. He, he, he blamed himself, and he kept drinking and drinking and drinking. He always talks about his brother. And eventually,
0: we lost him too. Vincent blamed himself for Thunderheart's death. And then he kept drinking and drinking. And then, as Chakapesh says, we lost him too. I tell Simeon that we don't have to talk about this right now. But he wants to. He doesn't know what will come of his fight with cancer. And he needs to see change. He needs justice.
2: It needs to be told because it's, it's really... The Charlie Family Services is not for us. It's, it's not meant for the Inu people. It's not meant for the Inu parents. It's not meant for the young people. Because it just... It, it just destroys your way of life. It just destroys your... Uh, Connection with your children. It's like somebody pull your heart out and and That you can't do nothing because they have authority. They have a provincial jurisdiction over uh, young people under the child Families Child Welfare Act And the Inu people are powerless and there's not much we can do. They got the police They got the courts. They got the judges The Inu don't have nothing. We're powerless and uh, You know what do you do when when you don't have a, a power over your, your, your life. Everything is controlled by, by provincial government and federal governments. They have a control over our communities. I mean, if we don't follow their rules, then and they'll punish us.
0: And, and,
2: that's, and that's what happens.
0: In 2021, Simeon and Ruby publicly called for an investigation into the events leading up to Thunderheart's death in 2017. They believe he may have been abused by someone at the treatment center in Regina where Thunderheart stayed. They also say they weren't told about concerning events at that same place.
2: And He was missing for one month. We didn't know until the RCMP called us here and said, do you guys realize, do you guys know about Thunderheart, that he ran away almost a month now? I said no. So there was no no communications at all. They don't even notify us what what really happened out there.
0: Wow. So it's... That, that, that,
2: that was in 2016.
0: Did he come back from that
1: time? No, that
2: no, no. We, we drove down there and then we eventually brought him back ourselves. Yeah. And I called my lawyer. I said, uh, they don't even tell us when Thunderheart is missing. Uh, even social workers, our social workers don't even try to communicate with us. They, they were just working against us, and that's, that's how I felt. They're just so, so evil towards the Inu people. They just, they don't really care. And I don't think they have any passion over the Inu. I don't really feel that because they destroy families. They're just misguiding people, misleading them, and they just, and not much we can do because they, they have a jurisdiction over over the children in Newfoundland and Labrador. But the Eno don't have, they don't have a jurisdiction there over anything. Like, like I said, they got RCMPs on their side, they got the judges on their side, and they got the lawyers on their side.
0: So, what do we have as Eno people? Simeon tells me that he and Ruby are really struggling.
2: Well I think it's really, I, need, I really need to ask questions, Child Welfare Act, and that's
0: that's, that's what killed
2: us, I think, as, as the parents, me and Ruby. And me and Ruby started drinking, start drinking after Tlanderhart left. We, we didn't usually drink, but there was
0: no, no help. He says when the inquiry last visited the community, they weren't ready to talk. Now, they're trying to find the strength to do it this fall.
2: I still feel feel not very strong yet but um eventually I I will be ready but half of my uh half of my uh uh strength not there i'm still not i'm still thinking about it i'm still it, it still hurts when when I talk about it and it it's still it's really painful it's it's really traumatized me yeah. seeing my my son on the, body back in in the clinic and it's gonna be the hardest thing I ever gonna do in my life I think talking about it and and I still can feel it in my throat and I still can feel it it should never happen what happened I think and and I think somebody should be accountable and I'm going to try to make sure somebody's going to be accountable What what, what happened to him. You know, so somebody need, needs to pay, because I'm the one who
0: who's living with it in my wife. The inquiry is being led by three commissioners. Former Provincial Justice James Agloliorte, who's a Nook from Hopedale. Mike Devine, a former social worker and retired professor from Memorial University's School of Social Work. And the third commissioner, former Innu Nation Grand Chief Anastasia Cupy, who accompanied Chakapesh to Toronto, and who we heard earlier plead with Carolyn Bennett to address the crisis. When we come back, we speak with Commissioner Cupy, and we ask, what hope the inquiry gives Innu families seeking healing and justice. Stay where you're too. This is Barry Grounds. I'm Justin Brake. When Innu leaders escalated their fight for their children in a very public way, it wasn't in St. John's or even Labrador. It was downtown Toronto. At the time, Simeon Chakapesh was the Deputy Grand Chief of the Innu Nation, the organization that advocates on behalf of the Innu communities in Labrador and is leading the decades-long fight for a land claim. But on July 1, 2017, it was the children and youth who they put front and center. That's when they confronted Carolyn Bennett, or as former Innu Nation Grand Chief Anastasia Cupy puts it,
3: "We crashed her party. <laughs> we were in Toronto for for other business, and uh, and we heard that there was going to be um, a Canada Day picnic. So we talked amongst us leadership." and said that um, this is something that we need to bring forward to to the minister about the number of children that are in care from both communities. So that that opportunity came and we went to the picnic.
0: CUPE is now one of three commissioners leading the Inu Child Welfare Inquiry. I tell her that I recently visited Simeon and Ruby Chakapesh at their home in Shehejit, and I ask her, what are your thoughts on how the inquiry will help families heal and have a sense of justice?
3: I think that at this moment um, it's it's too early to, to to talk about the post-report accountability piece. Um, I know that uh, since we started the inquiry we've done several visits to both communities And that's one of the things that people have come forward to share their truths and their stories. And I think that that is the important piece of the inquiry is getting people to talk about their stories. Because in in the past, we've never had an opportunity like this for people to come forward to speak to a commission to talk about what has happened in their communities, in our communities. And I think that and having that um, process start i think it's it's an avenue that uh, people are engaged in it and people are coming forward and the important piece of it as well is that we have the for us to establish and working with uh, in organizations in both communities to have the mental health supports that people need so that's kind of where we are at the moment to listen to people. And uh, these are the stories that people within government did not want to hear. And people never had the forum to, to be able to connect with the government to, to have their stories be heard, be listened to. So I think that at this moment, that's where we are, and that's what we'll continue to do.
0: Over the years, Innu have participated in other reports or inquiries, like the 1996 Royal Commission on Aboriginal Peoples, the 2015 Truth and Reconciliation Commission report, the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls National Inquiry, and even innu specific complaints to the Canadian Human Rights Commission. But QB says this inquiry is different.
3: This is the, f- the first inquiry that has been supported by the government of Newfoundland and Labrador. And this is something that was really um, important and pressing for INU because we have watched our children being taken out of our communities and away from their culture, away from their families, away from their language. And this is kind of the the pillar, I guess, in terms of why this is so important because a lot of a lot of the young people would come home, not really having no connection to the community, to the culture, to our language. And in both communities we speak our language. We still speak our language and in school too and we continue to teach our children.
0: But will the government let this inquiry's final report and recommendations collect dust?
3: It is too important for it to just, like, to be shelved. These, these are lives. These are our communities. And these are our families. And, and I think that, and I feel that, I feel like that it's not, it's not something that you can just put on the shelf and say, yeah, it'll go away. It's never going to go away.
0: During our interview, I noticed something about Anastasia Kewpie. She'll talk about the past and the future, but she's very focused on the present.
3: So here we are today. We have the inquiry, we have people coming forward, sharing their stories. Uh, we have you know, governments doing the work around the prevention. We have in you know, roundtable doing prevention, working with families to keep children in care. We have you know, First Nation establishing emergency homes and running a group home in the communities, in the communities. And so all this work that will tie into it at some point, even after the, the inquiry is done, we have to keep moving forward. So I am hopeful things will change.
1: Oh, Canada, our home
2: on a native land.
0: This episode coincides with the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation in Canada. As many Indigenous people have pointed out, there can be no reconciliation without an acknowledgement of the truth. For Innu, that truth is being told right now through the inquiry. The question is, are the rest of us ready to hear those truths? And if we are, are we willing to hold decision-makers to account in responding to the recommendations? Canada wouldn't exist if we didn't forcibly settle or relocate Indigenous peoples, if we didn't prohibit their languages and cultural practices, if we didn't take children from their families and put them in residential schools, if we didn't inflict all kinds of unspeakable and systemic violence on them. I say we, even though it wasn't me or even my parents or grandparents. I say we because we have benefited from that violence. Everything we have and everything we are is thanks to colonization and the creation of this place we call home, our home on native land.
1: Canada, we
0: stand on God. Thank you for listening to Berry Grounds. The show is a proud member of the Harbinger Media Network and is written, produced, and hosted by me, Justin Brake. If you like our work and want to help us create more local independent journalism, visit theindependent.ca and join hundreds of others with a small monthly donation to support our work. You can also rate Berry Grounds on the app where you get your podcasts, and that'll help us reach more listeners. For more information on the Inquiry Respecting the Treatment, Experiences, and Outcomes of INU in the Child Protection System, visit the Inquiry's website at INNIUNA.ca. That's I-N-N-I-U-N-A dot C-A. A A very special thank you to Simeon and Ruby Chakapesh for welcoming Berrygrounds into their home at this difficult time. Thanks for listening.